Look at your Bible at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and it says this. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city. Why would they get mad at Jesus for telling them the story of Naaman the leper and he got cleansed, he got saved, he got made whole? Well, they didn't like the idea that Jesus was telling them that they were a sinner and in need of a Savior. And we live in the same type of world today where people do not want to hear that they are sinners in need of a Savior. They are needing to be made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that's the only way you can have cleansing. That's the only way you can have salvation. It's through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. But the world doesn't appear to want to hear that message. But look now in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5, and you find the story here in the Holy Word of God about Naaman. And here's what it says. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had deliverance unto Syria. And he was also a mighty man in valor. Now you think about that. Here is this one guy. It says he is a great man. He is an honorable man, and he is a mighty man in valor. But he doesn't he have it going on for him? He's got everything you would want to think in life going his direction, going his way. He had power, he had prestige, he had prominence, but he was a leper. Just a little old side tag there changes everything, doesn't it? All those things that the world says is important, all those things that you are supposed to strive after according to the world's standards, when there throws a little bitty butt in the equation, none of that really matters anymore, does it? You see, you can imagine yourself, you get up one day and, and you start realizing how much life has blessed you. You've gone to college, you've secured a good job, you've made it up the corporate ladder. Maybe now you're the CEO and you're making money hand over fist. And you've got fame and you've got fortune and you've got riches and you've got power. And you are a known individual. People know who you, that you are. And when you stand up and come into a room, they stand up as well. Because they want to show forth respect to you. And then one day while you're getting dressed to go to the office, you realize that there's something on your shoulder blade and you start looking at it and you start feeling and you're like, this just doesn't feel right and you go on to work that day but you call the doctor and you set up an appointment and you set that appointment up and you go in and he said you have an inoperable terminal condition and all those successes mean nothing right because all you want now is to live and so what if you're honorable? So what if you're a man of great valor? So what if the king knows your name? You're a leper. Now look what it says. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with a prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. 
And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. He took a lot of money, three million dollars worth. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to him, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. How would you like to get that piece of mail? All of a sudden you get the letter saying, Heal my general, cure my admiral, you fix him. And you're the king of an opposing land. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes, he said, Am I God? to kill and to make alive that this man descended to me to recover a man of his leprosy wherefore consider I pray you and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me and it was so when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes that he sent to the king saying wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel and so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought. That's most of our problems, guys. I thought it would be this way. I thought he should have done that. I thought she should have done that. And sometimes we think to our own demise. Because we ignore what the Word of God says. I thought he will surely come out to me. Stand, call on the name of the Lord his God. Strike his hand over the place. Say abracadabra and recover of the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? I've got a plan. Why doesn't he just do that? Got a plan, guys? You got a plan? Is it in line with God's word? And his servant came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would thou have not done it? How much rather when, then when he said to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down, and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little babe, and he was clean. What do you do when the but comes into your life? What do you do when you've made all the things, you've done all the things correctly according to the world standard, you find a measure of success, you find a measure of stability, but all of a sudden you find yourself faced with a problem you can't fix. I mean, you have to understand Naaman. Naaman, he is a mighty man of valor. The king's got him on speed dial. He calls him whenever he wants to to discuss the matters of the kingdom with Naaman. Naaman was an honorable man. Naaman was a trusted advisor to the king. And one day Naaman gets up and he's getting ready to make his way to the courts where he would do the business that he normally carries out. And he's putting on his robe and he's getting ready to put on his, on his, on his, on his weaponry and all these things. And he notices on his 
shoulder, there's a spot. And it, and it kind of rubs it a little bit and nothing happens. And, and, and so his face kind of grows a little bit pale because he starts to think that does not look good. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've experienced that. But he goes ahead and he throws on the rest of his robe, the rest of his regal garments. And he goes down to the courts and he does business that day because that's what he does. He is an honorable man. He is an advisor to the king. He is a general in the king's order. He's never lost a battle that we know of. But when he gets back home, he takes off that robe and he looks closely and he grabs an old rag and a basin of water and he starts to rub it and he starts to scrub it, but it doesn't go away. And so he dresses himself and he gets upon his horse and he rides out down into the squatter village and he starts looking at the people who are living there and he starts watching how they will run from him and put their hand over their mouth and they would say, unclean, unclean, unclean. And Naaman says to himself, that's me. Because I'm a leper. I've got leprosy. And so he makes his way the doctors of his day and he says tell me what's wrong and the doc says you got leprosy brother we can't help you he said I will pay you anything you ask fix it can't do it he goes to another doctor he gets another opinion he does the same thing fix me make me whole make me healthy and the doc says I can't you have leprosy Naaman resolves in himself that he has got a condition that is impossible for him to fix. And as I read in this passage, here this man was mighty, here this man was great. He was the captain of the largest army in the world of that time. He was victorious after victory after victory in all that he would go out and all that he would do. He had a chest full of ribbons and he had a chest full of medals, but he realized that it didn't matter anything. What's it going to take before some people realize all this stuff doesn't matter? Only him and my relationship to him. And as I read this story, I, I, I can read this and I can see salvation. I, I can see healing. I can see crisis. I can see desperation. And, and all of these things are inside this passage. And God is trying to teach us. He's trying to show us what his word is saying. You see, because here's what he's trying to get across. You can be outwardly successful. You can be outwardly on top of the world. But inside your life, it's falling apart. Because there's something going on that you know about and God knows about. But you don't know how to fix it yourself. You see, in the Old Testament, leprosy is always a type of sin. It's always a picture of sin. And we dealt with this about a month or two ago because what happens when you become a leper, this, this, this disease that comes into your life, it desensitizes you whereby you can lose fingers, you can lose extremities, you can lose parts of your body, and you don't even know it. You can put your hand on a fiery hot coal and it burns, but you don't even sense the pain. Why? Because it deadens you from the inside out. And this is that not what sin does in the life of men and women and boys and girls? The more we commit a sin, the more we take part in an action, the more we get immune to it, the more we do not even understand that it's wrong. You ask a man or a woman that likes to carouse on the weekends with other people, and they say, man, I had a good time this weekend. I can't wait to go back next weekend. I feel no guilt until they go to the doctor, until they get found out. 
and then it just kind of blows up in their face. Why? Because of the sensitivity to that sin has built up inside their life, and it takes a verdict of leprosy almost to get their attention to what they are doing and what they are doing not being what God would have us to do. Warren Wearsby said this. He said, like leprosy, sin is deeper than the skin. It spreads, it devours, it isolates. It is fit only for the judgment of God. That's where Naaman is. Outwardly, he's successful. Outwardly, he pictures the perfect life. But it's not that way inside his life. What do you portray to the world around you? But what's going on inside your soul? Is there a battle raging? Do you understand when you start looking at this passage of Scripture how God worked in Naaman's situation to get him to where he could be saved, to get him to where he could meet holy God, to get him to a point where he could be changed from the inside out and made completely whole again? See, see, the first thing that God allowed into Naaman's life was a witness. And the witness is a very unusual person because the witness normally would not be there. Because look what it says there in verse 2. And had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. Here was a Jewish girl. Here was an Israelite girl who was taken captive. I don't know what happened. One day the Syrians were invading God's people. And all of a sudden they took her. They may have ripped her out of her mom or her dad's arms. Maybe they were gone and she was there by herself. But they took her as a captive, as a little girl. They took her back to their homeland and they made her a slave girl. They made her a servant girl. And Naaman somehow bought her, brought her to his home. And she minister to his wife but she's a little girl you think she should have issues I would probably have issues if I was 10 years old and they took me from my mom and dad and everything I knew and loved and cared about and my mom and dad was not there to say that my prayers with me at night and my parents were not there for me to run to and say oh I'm scared of the dark and my parents were not there to support me and to encourage me I would probably have issues this little girl seems like she don't have any issues. So am I saying it was easy on her? Absolutely not. I'm just saying this is how life came to her. And because she had a relationship with Almighty God, that is very evident. But see, she was able to come through this, and she was still able to witness of her God. You see, her God did not let her down. Her country let her down. Because they had a lot of idolatry into their borders. They had a lot of idolatry into their life. That God had just turned them over, and the enemy came and overwhelmed them. It was not God's fault. It was their own people's fault. You better hear that because he's not the problem. It's our response to him that causes issues. And here she is, this little maiden girl, separated from everybody she loved and cared and knew about. And she's little in physical stature. She's little in what, what influence she could have. But all of a sudden, she is saying to Naaman's wife, if he only could be my God, if he could only go to the prophet of God, he could be made whole again. Can you imagine? Now, now, here's what I would probably be doing as a slave boy inside that house. You're getting what's coming to you, big boy. 
Is that not how many of you would be? Now, I know some of y'all are more spiritual than me, but, but I think that's how a lot of us would be. We'd be thinking, yeah, I ain't going to tell you about my God. I'm not going to tell you about Elisha the prophet who can bring down fire from heaven if need be. I'm just going to let you stew in that because look where... No, 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 no. See, three things qualify this little girl's life that should qualify our lives and impact us as a witness to a world that is around us where we should not have influence. We will have influence if these are real in our life. She was faithful. <laughs> she was faithful to her God, even when she found herself in an unpleasant situation and circumstance. She was faithful. She was faithful to her boss, even when she did not have to be. See, she was faithful, and she was a woman of faith or a little girl of faith. Why? Because apparently she had been raised up to understand who Jehovah God was. She knew who the prophet of God was. And she understood the power of God that could rest upon that man's life. And she was faithful and she had faith in her God. And then she had to be a forgiving person. Because you're the ones that kidnapped me. You're the ones that disrupted my life. You're the ones that have made me a slave. And she was forgiven. And when you understand forgiveness like that, and you have faith like she had, and you're faithful to your God, no matter what the circumstance comes, you got influence. Because why should Naaman's wife listen to her? But because she had proven herself over time, Naaman's wife listened to her. The attendant heard it, took the word to the king, and all of a sudden, Naaman is getting a word of hope. Because a little maid, a little girl witnessed to her God when she really didn't have to. Think about that, guys. Naaman, all this stuff going on for him, all of a sudden he gets this diagnosis that's what's transpiring in his life, and he's got a crisis in his life, and he hears a word about Jehovah God listen to me that's how God works in crisis moments he gives you a word from him he gives you a word of direction see see, see look what it says it says, and it came to pass when the, in verse 7, when the king of Israel read the letter, he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh the quarrel. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, heard this, that he rent his clothes, he said, Why are you upset? Send him to me. See, see, see. The message went to the king of Syria. The king of Syria went to the king of Israel. They missed the point. Take it to the man of God. Take it to Elisha. And Elisha, when he heard it, he was more than ready. And see, see, are you really thinking that today, that you're seeking after what God wants? And so it says there, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know there's a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman came with his horse and with his chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. He brought $3.1 million with him. Why would he do that? See, see, he heard from God. He's walking in obedience to what, what God has, ha, has put into his life. But he's got two misconceptions. He, he still has this idea that healing is something that you can buy for yourself. And so he brought gifts and he brought money. He was going to retire this prophet with a good pension. What? 
I mean, 3.1 million back in the day. And if the man of God does that, he's not really a man of God. Because it's not about the money. See, you can't give this idea that you can buy, you can purchase it, you can get it for yourself. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him. He said, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Now listen to me. Naaman is a living legend. You understand what I'm saying? He is the captain. He is the general of the largest army in the world. What's up with this prophet dude that won't even come outside the house? You see, what impresses men of God is not what impresses worldly leaders. And I hope you understand as a child of God, what should impress you is not worldly people and people who have worldly success, but it should be people who have a heart that pursues after the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, you see, we get all messed up. I, I was in line, not in line, I was coming to an airport one time with a group of men. We had been down in, in, in Mexico, and we had been working to build a, a, a church and an orphanage and things like that. And, and as we came through, Tommy Lasorda was standing there. And, and I couldn't believe two or three of the guys that were with me. Man, they just, oh, i got to get Tommy Lasorda's autograph. I said, who's that? Now, I knew who he was. But I could have really cared less. And so, 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 so they got his autograph. And then we're standing to get the luggage. And it's late. And Lasorda starts cussing. And that one guy said, he said, I'm embarrassed I wanted this man's autograph. Why do we want, why do we get impressed with the wrong stuff? Do you hear me? Because we do get impressed. We look at the television and they tell us what is fashionable. Because we want to look like Christian women, men, or we want to look like the world. Do we want to blur it where you can't tell a difference? Oh, I don't want to dress that way. They might know I'm Christian. I'll be honest, isn't it? What we, what we entertain ourselves with? See, 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 Naaman, he was this guy who was all that. Naaman was this, this hero and he expected this man of God to come out and to. And all the man of God did was give him a word from God. And he said, Brother, you really don't impress me, but I got what you need. And see, we do have what the world needs, and that is the Word of God. And we've got to be faithful to articulate it and to proclaim it and to testify of it and to bear witness to it because this is the only hope that America has and this is the only hope some of you may have today in this room and this is the only hope the people who are coming this afternoon is going to have. It's the Word of God resonating, making real inside their spirit whereby they understand the Word was made flesh and it dwelt among us and His name was Jesus and He went and died on Calvary's cross with your sins and mine that we might have life and life everlasting and we can live for a purpose beyond this right now. We live for His glory, His kingdom. And we live for eternity with Him. But, but Naaman's just an old 
rugged soldier. And he gets offended that, that Elijah doesn't give him respect. And Elisha sent somebody out to tell him to go get in one of the nasty rivers in Israel. And so, so, so Naaman says, Surely, I thought he'd come out and stand and call on the name of his God and strike his hands over the place and say abracadabra, hocus pocus, and recover the leper. I had it all figured out how God was going to do it. You ever do that? Do you ever have a plan how you think, now, God, if you haven't thought about this way, it's a really good idea. Because, Lord, I know you're omniscient, but I came up with this one on my own. It ought to impress you a little bit, you know. You, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you anything, but, but here's, here's a good idea. Because, see, this would work so well to feed my flesh, and I can go back to life without you. You know what it is? You heal me so I can go back to living like a hellion without you. You heal me so I can go back living where I have no time for you, no time for your church, no time for your kingdom, no time for your word, no time for it. You heal me, but let me live my life like I want to. Isn't that what we do in America? Heal me, Lord, but I get to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, and don't you interrupt me. God is not impressed, and he is not accountable to that logic. But that's what Naaman was thinking. I can buy it, and it ought to be this way, and I can go back to being the general doing what I do. And Elisha knew Naaman needed to be humbled before he could be cured. How does that work with us? You understand the doorway to his grace is humility. God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. And if you're not willing to humble yourself, you're going to miss grace. And guys, let me tell you, grace is amazing. And let me tell you, grace will change you. Grace changes your want-tos. Grace changes your direction. Grace changes your desire. Now, religion don't do that. Being a Baptist don't do that. Being a Pentecostal don't do that. All that does is get your name written on some piece of paper that says I'm Pentecostal or I'm Baptist and I can go back to living like I want to do. My flesh doing what my flesh wants to do. But hear me, when grace comes into your life, grace works and grace moves and grace changes your heart because he borns you anew from the inside out and you put on Christ Jesus and all of a sudden, Jesus Christ, he starts manifesting inside you. And those things you used to like to do, those things you used to like to chase out, all of a sudden, you don't desire them any longer. You don't want them any longer. Why? Because grace is inside your heart. But see, if all you're trying to do, one of these days I'm going to knock this thing over. If all you're trying to do is get a quick fix and go back to life without him, it's not going to happen. Because God says, you need to understand humility and yielding to me. See, see, second thing about Naaman, he thought that, that the cure was something he could create for himself. He said, I thought he would come out and he would stand, he would call, he would strike his hands, and he would cover, recover the leg. I, I thought, I expected my healing to be this way. Well, 
well, God touched this person this way. Why didn't he touch me that way? I'd just be happy God touched me, right? But when he touches you, understand. There better be humility or the touch might not be what you want. Understand. He said, he said, why do I have to go down to the Jordan River? It's nasty. It's polluted. See, guys, you can't buy God's forgiveness. You can't barter God's forgiveness. You only get forgiveness and cure for sin as you yield to the person of Jesus Christ, as you yield to the, to the Word of God. See, Naaman illustrates the heart of man. The problem with the gospel is not that it's too hard. It's not that it's too tough. The problem with the gospel, it's too humiliating. Isn't that right? I don't need to get on my knees. Admit you're a sinner and depend entirely upon Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. It's not by Buddha. It's not by Muhammad. It's not by being a Mormon. It's not by being a Jehovah Witness. All those are cults lead you to hell. It is not by doing your own thing, doing your own will. It is only by the very person, Jesus Christ. And when Christ comes real into your life, He changes your life. He can save your life. You see, Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not difficult. Listen, it's dogmatic. We don't like dogmatism today. We don't like preachers who are dogmatic, do we? Do we? We like the preacher to come up there and say, Oh, you're so sweet and you're so kind. Why are you laughing? You know that ain't going to happen, don't you? <laughs> see, 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 we don't like dogmatic preaching. We like that little wiggle room where I can make a little choices and I get to do what I want to do. But hear me, isn't the gospel dogmatic? It says there is one way. There is one way to salvation. There's one way to heaven. There's one way to know Jesus. There's not a bunch of ways. There's one way. And no, you can't go hanging on to your sin. And no, you can't go living like a hellion saying, Oh, I'm on the church row. You go when you meet Jesus and He changes your soul. But you come by grace. You come by surrendering your life when you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. You. <laughs> now, hang on a second. Last time they clapped for me, they wanted to fire me within three months. So hang on, I don't know about that. So anyway, listen, listen, the gospel's dogmatic. You got to get that straight. The way is narrow. It's not wide. We're making it wide today. Who did that? Who told you it's wide? It's not. It's a narrow way. And you have to follow the narrow path. And hear me, when the Spirit of God's inside you, you desire to walk the narrow path. And when you get off the narrow path, you know you're off the narrow path. And it brings conviction inside your soul. And when you know that disturbance inside your spirit, you get right. You come crawling back to the Father saying, oh God, I've sinned, I've sinned. But hear me, if you can get off the narrow path and it not bother you, you've never been saved. And you're like that person who can corrals all week and say, oh no, it's no big deal. I'm going to do it next week too. And then there's going to be a butt come into your life. But leprosy. But this. For which there's no hope. Listen to me. And then you better be saying, God, give me a witness. And who he brings up as a witness in your life, you may not even like them. 
but they'll speak a word of truth to you. And if you'll yield to the word of truth and yield to what the word of God says, God can work inside your circumstance, inside your life. Naaman was in a rage. See, see, God's ways are different than our ways, right? Why does not go get in clean water? Why do I have to get in nasty water? Because we're nasty, guys. We kid ourselves to act like we're cleaner than the most polluted river around here. We're nasty in our sin. We are vile. We are corrupt in our sin. And so what God was simply doing is that I want to challenge your faith. And I want you to look at what you really are. See, see we, 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 we come with this idea, with this expectancy, and God just shakes it up. And he says, oh, it's not your way. It is his way. It is God's way. See, God, here's what he said. I want humility. I want obedience. I want surrender. That's what he wants. God has no desire to fix any of us without obedience, humility, and surrender. And then when he fixes us, he may not remove situations out of our life, but he is going to give us grace in the midst of the situation that we can reflect him. Look at the little girl, the little maiden girl taken from her mommy and daddy in the middle of a bad situation. She still knew the grace of God whereby she witnessed to the people who were holding her as captive, whereby she was working for people as a slave. She still had a love for them because why? She knew Christ was real. She knew Jehovah God was real. She knew the word of God was true. And she knew God could impact him and God could shake him up. Look what it says. God says, Trust me. Verse 14. And he went down and he dipped himself seven times according to what the word of God, to what the man of God said. And his flesh came unto him like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, I, 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 that, that verse just blows me away. A little child sitting next to you. Her flesh, how soft can you imagine an old grumpy man like me having a little soft skin like a little child? Doesn't that just mess with your mind? <laughs> I need my skin softer than your skin. You know, I don't even use whatever that stuff is we put on there. <laughs> you know, see, see, he said, his, her, his flesh was as a baby's flesh. Isn't that amazing? I, I think about the sole of his feet. You ever watch babies? Man, they're so cute when they're little, little feet. At some point, they stop being cute, don't they? Yeah, yeah. But those little feet, they're so soft on the bottom, just like on the top. Can you imagine Naaman going, I can't even walk on these sandals because it hurts my feet. They're so soft. But that's what God did. God radically, radically changed this man from the inside out. Because he, he was willing to submit to the Word of God. And he looked to God. And he obeyed God in submission and humility. And God says, today I'm looking for the same thing from you. The 2004 Olympics. Summer Games. A guy named Matt Emons. He was in the shooting competition. And the commentator said, on his last target, he said, all Matt has to do is hit the target, and he's going to win. He's so far ahead of everybody else. He just has to hit the target. He don't have to hit the bullseye. He just has to hit the target. And Matt Emus, he laid that barrel down, and he pulled that trigger, and bam! It was right in the bullseye. And everything went quiet. 
the judge held up a flag that meant disqualified. He shot the wrong target. He he hit the bullseye, but he shot the wrong target. Disqualified. So what target are you shooting? I got my business under control. Bullseye. My family, we're doing great. Bullseye. Got my retirement plan covered, preacher. No worries. Bullseye. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, DQ, not Dairy Queen, disqualified. Well, let me ask you, if you stand before God today, are you going to impress him with all your honors, your valor? your possessions and he's going to say yeah you hit the bullseye you hit the bullseye but but that's trivial pursuit because the bullseye is Matthew 6 33 where it says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness bow your heads and close your eyes maybe you're here today and God has put a butt in your life and you're desperate just like Naaman was you're in a crisis just like Naaman was what are you willing to say to God Lord I've got this plan and if you'll just follow this plan we can just go back to like it's always been And I don't have to give you any time or attention or obedience or submission. If you're to die tonight, do you know for certain you would die and you'd go to heaven? You say, preacher, I don't know that, but I know I don't want to go to hell. Well, today you can respond to Christ and be born again. But you have to come surrendering, submitting, yielding. I said, Lord, here I am. And God's grace and his mercy, whoo, he reaches out and he extends it. And he gives forgiveness and he washes and he cleanses and he begins to show you purpose <laughs> beyond the American dream. Do you know that? Do you know that you know that you know if you die tonight, you go to heaven? You need to settle that. Altar's open. Father, we bow before you this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you speak to hearts. Help us, God, not to be like the 